Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. We got some housekeeping to go over before the Super Bowl, and we get to talk about all that. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and, of course, the, I would say, shocking result of the the final score for that Super Bowl. Tom Brady gets ring number seven. Uh, But before we get to all of that, Trevor Bauer signed a obnoxious mega deal with the Dodgers. We get to break that down. Um, MLB officially announced some of the different rule changes that they were keeping from last year to this year. I have some, uh, some thoughts on what they decided to keep and what they decided to cut. NFL awards, MVP, offensive and defensive player of the years, rookies of the years, coach of the years, all that. We get to talk about who took home those awards on Saturday night. And the NFL Hall of Fame class of 2021, not too many surprises on that front. Uh, A lot of the guys that were expected to get in did get in, but there were one of two that it kind of it kind of made me not scratch my head, but I was I was shocked, pleasantly surprised that they got in. So, to start off, Trevor Bauer's mega deal. That is something that needs to be discussed because it is such an outrageous amount of money. I mean, there were all right. So Trevor Bauer has is the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner. Um, he was due to make a lot of money. He's 30 years old, um, but he won his first Cy Young. He's been a very he's been a top end pitcher for years now, and a guy that uh, is very passionate about the game of baseball. And that's something, regardless of what his on the field play translates to. What he does off the field for the game of baseball, I feel, is very, very important. The guy is an advocator for the game. He is a true, uh, a true knight when it comes to ch- being a champion for the game of baseball. He, uh, he goes out, he promotes it. He is very, very vocal on social media about different ways he thinks the game could improve. Uh, he goes out of his way to try and. Uh, be the people's champion, the fans' champion for baseball, and 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 try as much as he can to relay some uh, unpleasantries that the fans have with the game currently in the state that it's in. Uh, if there's anything that's really really bad, and people get in, like you know they want this, they want that, whatever. Like he really does try to be uh, the people's champ for baseball, and I respect the hell out of him for that. Uh, because I, I really do think he's making a, a bit of an impact here. And a lot of guys are following suit. Um, you know, for years, baseball players haven't really been active on social media big, or have a big social media presence. The league itself is uh, is notoriously known for locking up their their social media presence to the point that you can't tweet out highlights. So... An account like House of Highlights uh, doesn't exist for baseball. Like, that is uh, a majority basketball-related content, House of Highlights. But they they have football there, too. And they, they can really tweet whatever they want or uh, put on Instagram whatever they want. 
but they can't do anything with baseball because baseball, again, has a notoriously uh, terrible policy where it's they you can't tweet out any of their content unless it's retweeted from their account. So it's really the only access people have to these highlights, uh, which they happen nightly, man. People robbing home runs, uh, making crazy defensive plays, offensive hits, like all that kind of stuff. The uh, different pitches, there's Pitching Ninja, but he tweets out most of his stuff in uh, GIF format, which I think is kind of a way for him to bypass that whole copyright thing that the MLB has. Um, but you can't find MLB highlights on the internet unless they're from the MLB ac- official MLB accounts, which is really bad because it restricts how many people see them and how many people interact with those highlights. Uh, so anyway, baseball players in general haven't been the most, uh, Twitter or social media friendly. Trevor Bauer's kind of, kind of changing that. Um, Noah Syndergaard's pretty active on Twitter too, but there are, there are a bunch of players that are very active. They interact with fans, different accounts, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it is making a bit of a bigger push. So Trevor Bauer off the field, I respect the hell out of him. Uh, he, I think he is creating a lot of positive uh, effort towards growing the game of baseball. Now, as for his actual contract that he just got, it is entirely too much money. I mean, this, this is like, this is the contract that Jacob Degrom should have got from the Mets. Like, he should be making forty mil a year for New York. But Trevor Bauer. He was in talks with a couple different teams, the Mets being one of them. Uh, there was a bit of a debacle, like on his website or something like that, where it was supposed he was he had he he went on a little bit of a thread on Twitter saying explaining the situation what happened because some Mets fans were pissed at him, uh, and he had uploaded a few different like I'm headed to wherever posts on the back end of his website which means that only he can see it. It's not made available to the general public. Like if you went to his website, you wouldn't be able to see the page, but he is, it's like having a draft for a, a web page. And what, uh, apparently there was a mistake. I know I didn't see this until he like went over the situation. I had no idea this even happened. Um, but apparently there was an, a, a wrongful post or an issue with the posting on his website and people saw like this post that he was going to the Mets uh some Mets fans were happy others I know didn't want him but it was taken down rather quickly but it, it did ruffle a bunch of feathers so when it was announced that he was going to LA some people were like what the fuck uh so he had to go through a whole Twitter thread explaining all of that and what happened and he apologized to the Mets it is he and he talked about how it's clear that this that fan base is incredibly passionate and I know what I was getting had I decided to go to New York but I meant no disrespect I didn't want to it wasn't for likes or retweets or to tease like where I was going it was it had nothing to do with that uh, so it was just a genuine mistake and he ended up signing with LA and they gave this man's <laughs> a. Three-year, $102 million deal that has opt-outs after the years one and two. Bauer is set to make $40 million 
this upcoming season and 45 million in 2022 and then after that there's an opt out it is with heavy speculation that Bauer will play the first 2 years here in LA for 40 and 45 million dollars and then opt out and become a free agent he's 30 years old so he's going to make 85 million dollars in the next 2 years and then either re-up for a cheaper deal with the Dodgers or you know who knows how he performs maybe he go get he goes and gets something like that somewhere else but an exorbitant amount of money for Trevor Bauer and like it it is a lot man i i really i think there's maybe two pitchers that deserve that kind of money i mean he's Trevor Bauer is laughing somewhere because uh him and Garrett Cole, like Garrett Cole was the highest paid pitcher, I think, in baseball last year. And now he's, they have a a uh, notoriously aggressive relationship dating back to their UCLA Bruins days uh, where Cole would tell Bauer that he's not good enough to even be on the same field as him, which is like so mean. Um, and now Bauer is going to be the highest paid player in baseball for like the next two years. So good for him, dude. Like that is, it's not the longevity that a lot of people seek. You see in free agency nowadays, it's, there's not a whole lot of long-term deals. You know, only the, the superstars, the franchise players seem to be really locking up those multi-year deals. Uh, As for everyone else, like, there are guys that have been bona fide starters for a while. Like, I know off the top of my head because the Mets just signed both of them. Albert Almora was with the Cubs for like four years. He only got a two-year deal from the Mets. Jonathan Villar, was, who was with the Brewer, the Brewers, he got a one-year deal. Colton Wong, uh, he was a free agent. And he signed with the Brewers. He, he is a very, like, uh, good second baseman. And he's had a lot of good years with the Cardinals and... And he's uh, he's very reliable. He only got a two year deal from the Brewers, so it, it's like you're only getting maybe a, a two three year deal with a lot of teams if you're in your prime, but you're not a superstar, you know. Um, so it, it's it's interesting that this is the approach that Trevor Bauer took because there is for sure a place he could have gone for probably high twenties, low thirties multi-year deal. I'm sure that was an offer he had on the table from someone, but instead he goes the the short route which I think he has like all the control here. He is making 40 million dollars and then can opt out if he wants. He won't. 45 million in year 2 and then he can opt out and I think in year 3 he's only making like only I say, but he it's somewhere in the 30s I believe. He's not making north of 40 million his third year. So that's why there's speculation that he might opt out. But who knows? Um, Yeah, it it is insane, man. It is insane. But clearly the Dodgers are all in uh, for trying to repeat. They bolster their pitching staff even more than it was before. Clayton Kershaw, of course, uh, he pitched great in the playoffs last year. But he is, you know, not getting any younger. Uh, So to... Combat that, I guess, going out and signing Trevor Brow- uh, Trevor Bauer, a guy who's in his prime, is a good starting point. But man, oh man, like what an what a crazy contract for 
uh, Trevor Bauer. It is, it's something clearly that none of us have ever seen before. Um, and I said Clayton Kershaw's not getting any older. Uh, Clayton Kershaw's 32 and Bauer's 30, but I don't know why Kershaw feels like he's like 37 years old. Uh, but yeah, he's not that old, which is crazy. Uh, Anyway, they still get him some help. I, I think it's just because he's been in the playoffs so many times and uh, come up short prior to this year that it feels like Clayton Kershaw is old. It's like this weird Mandela effect that I thought Clayton Kershaw was like in his mid-30s at least. He's in his early 30s. Wild. Pretty wild. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Dodgers. Chances to repeat. Uh, they're probably up there, I think. It's safe to say at this point. Um, I think Justin Turner is still a free agent, which is interesting. I don't know what they're going to do at third base. He's been a staple there for years now. I don't know if they're going to resign him or not. Um, but the Dodgers are probably favorites to win, I would assume. Uh, they were probably high up odds to repeat before this Bauer signing, so I can only imagine this bolsters their odds. And... Other teams up there, um, the Yankees, the Padres probably with their acquisitions of Blake Snell and Hugh Darvish are up there. Uh, Vegas loves when guys add pitching. If you add pitching, you bolster your chances or your odds to win the World Series. Vegas loves pitching. Um, so the Dodgers adding Two Cy Young caliber guys, ex Cy Young award winners. You uh, Darvish hasn't won a Cy Young, but uh, has Darvish won a Cy Young? He might have won in Texas, but I don't think he did. Uh, but Blake Snell, and then the Yankees added Corey Kluber, which we'll we'll see. That, that experiment is TBD, but they did add him to the rotation, which on paper looks good. As for the new rules for the MLB, they have announced that they are keeping the seven-inning doubleheader rule and the extra inning rule where a runner starts on second as extra innings start. They're keeping those rules from last year. However, they did not keep the universal DH. So, uh, I'm partially happy. So, I like the seven-inning doubleheader uh, because... If you're playing doubleheaders, which is, uh, I would say rare, but you know, with COVID going on, any game can be canceled at any time, and then you're forced to play doubleheaders. So, with the frequency of, with the higher possibility that doubleheaders are going to be played, because prior to COVID, doubleheaders being played only happened when there was a, a rainout, and a game couldn't be started or couldn't be finished. Um. That, that was the only time that doubleheaders were a thing. But now, because of COVID and possibility of uh, of weather postponements, having this seven-inning doubleheader rule is smart because it's less innings. It uh, makes the games go quicker. You're not going to be you know playing back-to-back nine-inning games. God forbid they go extra innings. That's going to be a you know, that's always a pain in the ass. So it just it limits the fatigue of some of these players, especially because the frequency of doubleheaders is gonna go up. And it, it was that like that last year, it'll it most likely be like that this year. 
I personally don't like the runner starting on second rule. I think that is, you know, I know people have problems with like the double, uh, the double header rule with seven innings saying it's like Bush league. It's, it's little league kind of rule. Um, but for reasons I just explained, I like it. This rule, however, I also, I, I will probably take that other corner where it is, it does feel a bit too little league-ish. Um, I understand like, you know, if the home, if the away team scores first with the, the runner on second and the home team can't do it, then that's the home team's fault because you're both given the same advantage. But I I don't, I don't know, man. I, I just don't necessarily like that rule. I'd rather them just keep the extra inning rules the same. Uh, if there was one rule they were going to scrap from last year, I, I would would have liked it to be this one. Now, the DH rule is a little upsetting. I like people who are fan, like there are some people who are, are baseball traditionalists or, or fans of teams in the National League and like they like uh pitchers hitting and there's like that strategic element to it where late in the game your your pitcher is pitching a gem but you have guys in scoring position and you need the runs do you sub them out do you let them hit like what happens uh it's i understand the logic but it, it's just not something you i talked about growing the game at the beginning of the episode that is not how you go about it having pitchers hit yes you get gems Timeless gems like Bartolo Colon hitting his first career home run after 20 years in the MLB, right? You don't get that with a universal DH. But there's more action to be had and more opportunities for players to be had if there's a universal DH. Think about how many amazing hitters there are that DH in the American League and their job opportunities are limited to half the teams because the other half doesn't even have that position. It's uh, it's it's a way, in my opinion, that a universal DH is a way to definitely attract more people because there are people out there who are like they're not they're not gonna watch a National League game because. They're gonna have at some point. They're gonna have to watch like this uncoordinated guy swing a baseball bat, or not even. Some pitchers just go up there. They don't even swing at all. They take three strikes. They go back to the the dugout. Like it is a double sided coin. Uh, I I think I understand the 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 technical part of it or the strategic part of it where. You know, you do have to work around that and double switches are a thing and all that. And you with the universal DH, you kind of take all that out and it's a lot, I guess, easier to manage. But I, I, I personally want the universal DH. Um, I think we have seen far too many pitchers get hurt on the offensive end of the game, which is not what they get paid to do right? Pitchers get paid to pitch. So when you see a guy like 
one guy that always comes to mind because I'm a Yankee fan is Chin Ming Wong. If you remember Chin Ming Wong, he was a Yankees pitcher in, I don't even know, the mid to late 2000s. And this is a guy who was very good for the Yankees for uh, a good while. And there was a game in Houston, and he was coming, running into to home play. This is back when Houston was in the National League, and this was interleague play. And he was running down the third baseline, and after he crossed home plate, he messed up his leg. He, he pulled, I think it was something with his hamstring, and the guy just was never the same. He missed a very long time with that injury, rehabbed, came back, got injured again, and then his career was over. Like, it, it just takes one injury sometimes to completely derail someone's career, as sad as that is. So when these pitchers, especially the American League pitchers, which... Honestly, you might have a better, bigger argument on that side where these guys have the DH, and then when you do interleague play, there's they have to hit. And then if they get injured there, you're like, this, this is one game of interleague play that you never have to deal with. Some guys pitch one interleague game all year, and that's it. Right? Just because sometimes the way the rotations line up, they'll pitch one, two interleague games a year, and that's it. I mean, it's, it's a little bit more now because interleague games are a little bit more frequent but having to do that where it's it's not the norm for your league having to do that is and then if if a play, if a pitcher gets injured like that is the most frustrating thing from a player standpoint from a manager standpoint from a fan standpoint like your pitcher is there to pitch so to get hurt running the bases or God forbid the pitcher gets hit by the opposing pitcher and they break something or, you know, sliding into a base and they, they tear something, whatever. Swinging a bat, they pull something in their back. It, it's just not, in my opinion, it's just not worth it. And if that means sacrificing pitchers hitting home runs, the rarity that that happens, then so be it. Like, I'm totally on board with that. Uh... So, again, I, I think they should have had the universal DH rule. After this year, the collecting the collective bargaining agreement is up. So, there's going to be a whole slew of negotiations that's going to have to happen between the MLB and the MLBPA. Perhaps a uni- – I'm sure – not perhaps. There There is no doubt that the universal DH is something that's going to be brought up in these negotiations. I'm sure National League owners are going to vote against it, though, because that just means paying for another guy to be on their team, right? <laughs> another position that they have to play, uh, have to pay to, to fill, even though there's no salary cap baseball owners for some reason. Like, a quarter of the league doesn't like spending money, or half the league doesn't like spending money. It's ridiculous. All right, before we get into the NFL awards, RIP the great, late, great, Pedro Gomez, what a sad, sad, sad bit of news that we got there on Sunday night during the Super Bowl, ESPN PR tweeting out Pedro Gomez unexpectedly passing away. Uh, I think he was 57 years old. Very, very, very sad. Uh, This is a guy who I really grew up with. He started his career in 2003 with ESPN um, and... He, he was one of the main 
staples of guys for covering baseball for me growing up. Pedro Gomez, Tim Kirkchin, uh, Carl Ravitch, Ken Rosenthal. Like, these are the GOATs. And it, I, I, it was just very unexpected. He died in his home. And, yeah, he was 58 years old, not 57. So my apologies there. But very sad and very unexpected. Um. There was no reports that he was sick or anything that like that, which, I mean, he, he looked normal, right? Last time I saw him on TV, he looked very normal. He was only, he was already tweeting like a couple days ago, which makes me think this was uh, a heart attack maybe. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think there's been any reports to come out that what happened with uh, Pedro Gomez. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. Seem like, uh, but yeah, uh, Pedro Gomez, man. I, I'm very interested to see if if what uh, what other news comes out about how he passed away because it was very sudden. There was no reports of his sickness or anything like that. He never addressed any health issues. So, uh, very, very, very sad. And there was a couple. Of, there was an interview that went around on the internet that night, um, of him with Scott Van Pelt. Uh, Pedro Gomez was in Cuba and he was talking about how um, his father and his brother passed away just with a cu- within a couple years of each other and he was able to go to Cuba and spread their ashes in Cuba um, and it was a very it was a very nice interview and he did get choked up talking about it so it's just very sad it was very sad again a big part of my childhood as far as baseball reporters go and watching you know baseball news unfold and who's telling it to you there are guys that stick out in your mind and he is definitely one of those guys so incredibly sad news coming out of uh ESPN's front losing uh, another beloved reporter on Sunday night okay we will move on to the NFL awards those were announced on Saturday night, and not too many surprises as far as who took home what hardware, but first, and quite honestly, probably the most clear-cut award given out, the Comeback Player of the Year award, goes to Alex Smith. I This has to be the easiest decision of the night. It has to be. Uh, the guy came back with like, Almost lost his leg, came back, didn't think he was even going to see the field. Uh, They benched Dwayne Haskins because he stinks. Kyle Allen, uh, he gets hurt, and he also wasn't very good. And then Alex Smith comes in and is able to play well enough to— I mean, he really actually kind of turned the Redskins around. Excuse me. Oh, my God. The Washington football team. I'm sorry. I don't do this on purpose, I swear. Uh, he kind of turned Washington around. I mean, no one in that division was was very good. So even though Washington started off just as bad as the Giants, they were able to squeeze into the playoffs. And they did lose in the first round to, uh, to Tampa Bay. But Alex Smith didn't even play in that game, unfortunately. Um, but he did lead the team to the playoffs after... A brutal injury that would end in most people's careers. He was able to work back 
No one thought he'd even play. And he ends up playing, you know, I think 10 plus games it was eventually uh, for Washington. So congratulations, Alex Smith. However, I think he's done. He's got to be done, right? Like there's, there's no way he comes back for a second season. This guy, he had, what was it? Like a calf injury, a very mild calf injury, but it was to the leg that almost got amputated. Uh, and it missed, it, it forced him to miss like two weeks or three weeks, like the last three games of the season, including the playoffs. So if it's that bad where you can't even kind of muscle through a bit of an, a little injury on that leg, then I, I don't see how uh, you you play. Like, I, I really don't see how you can go into another season expecting to play. Uh, we'll see what Washington's plans are. Um, they have obviously not like that good of a draft pick because they made the playoffs. So I don't think they're going to be able to draft a QB in the first round, but we'll see what their plans are. If they go out and sign someone like I can't imagine that Washington's future plans include Alex Smith for like a long, a long-term period, but we'll see. Congratulations to Alex Smith. Very well-deserved comeback player of the year. Something that I think 0% of people expected to see. So very, 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 very cool for Alex Smith to be able to come back and play after that terrible injury and then be rightfully recognized for it. Coach of the year goes to Kevin Stefanski. This is something that you can argue with all day. Sean McDermott for the Bills deserved it. Brian Flores for the Dolphins leading them. They missed the playoffs, but they got they had an 11-win season or a 10-win season, Miami, for the first time in I don't even know how many years, probably close to, if not a decade at this point. Um, and so the, he he what he's done with the Dolphins, he is, I think, unquestionably a top five coach in the NFL, just based on what he's been able to do with the Dolphins from last year to this year and the steady, consistent growth that the Dolphins have shown. They used to be a laughingstock. And last year, they didn't have the best record up until the end. I think they won like four of the last five games or whatever it was. Uh, but they played hard every week last, yeah, last year. And then coming into this year, played hard every week. And they got 10 wins, much to many people's surprise. So they just missed the playoffs, unfortunately. Um, but they will be back in that position, no doubt about it. They have the number three overall. Yeah, wait, number three? Yeah, number three overall pick this year. Uh, Jacksonville has the first one. Jets have second. The Dolphins have the third, thanks to the Houston Texans. So, they have a lot of upcoming things to discuss with that uh, with that draft pick about taking quarterback, whatever. I digress. Brian Flores is an excellent head coach. You can certainly make the argument he deserves it given what he's done with the Dolphins. Sean McDermott, of course, excellent head coach with Buffalo, winning the division, the, A uh, the AFC East, winning multiple playoff games, going to the AFC Championship game. They definitely deserve that recognition however 
the Cleveland Browns. The Bills have been bad for a long time. I acknowledge that. And, you know, they've been good for the past two years. Uh, incredibly impressive this year. But when you're a franchise as bad as the Browns, a historic level of bad that this franchise has reached. This is a team since coming back into existence in 1999 has only even made the playoffs. This is the second time they've even made the playoffs. They have one playoff win since 1994. That was the last time that they were in the playoffs and then they disbanded as a franchise, then came back into the NFL fold in 1999. And so this is a team you're talking, a franchise you're talking about that hasn't even been in the playoffs for almost 20 years, let alone have won a playoff game. Since 1994 was the last time they won a playoff game. And then they disappeared from the NFL. So when you take a franchise like this, you know, multiple 0-16 seasons, right? Or one 0-16 season and one 1-15 season. Like, a team that has reached the lowest of lows for the NFL. You take them, and not only do you win 11 games, you make the playoffs. And then I know the playoffs don't count when they're considering NFL awards, but you beat the Steelers in the playoffs. That is a huge, huge, huge accomplishment for Stefanski and for the Browns. So, in my opinion, this was the only vote that... The only choice that voters uh, really had. I mean, McDermott's great. Flores is great. Those were probably the other two guys that came in second and third in whichever order you want to give it. But the clear choice here was Stefanski and the job he did with Cleveland. Offensive and defensive rookies of the years, Chase Young and Justin Herbert. Again, these were kind of clear cuts. Uh, Chase Young was probably one or... He's arguably the best defensive player on one of the best defensive lines in all of football. Say what you will about Washington and how they played games. The only un- the unquestionable talent that they have on that defensive line is was is what helped them win a, a lot of their football games. And uh, he was transcendent. I mean, this is the guy who, you know, you have high hopes from him drafting him at number two overall. And I think he fulfilled all of them. Like, all the wildest fantasies that Washington fans had over having Chase Young on their football team, I think he fulfilled them. He was excellent. And then Justin Herbert, it was going to be, it was shaping up to be a, a duel between him and Joe Burrow for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Burrow tears everything in his knee, unfortunately. Um, I hope he comes back soon. But Herbert, regardless of what happened to Joe Burrow, goes on to break multiple rookie quarterback records. Touchdowns, yards, completions, I'm pretty sure. All three he broke for a rookie. So a historic year for Justin Herbert, his first year in Los Angeles. Uh, They had a couple tough breaks. They definitely should have had more wins than they ended up with. But they ended out on a high note. I think they won their last four, four games. In the regular season, so uh, a good note—a good note to go out on. You got a new young head coach, uh, a talented roster. So sky's the limit for Justin Herbert. Definitely deserving of that award. I know some people were clamoring for Justin Jefferson. Uh, 
And he broke a lot of records. The single most receiving yards by a rookie in Vikings history, which when Randy Moss is on that list, very, very impressive. There's no doubt about it that Justin Jefferson had an incredible rookie year. However, when you're setting records like Justin Herbert is, the quarterback usually gets the benefit of the doubt there. Offensive player of the year, Derrick Henry. Uh, League leading in rushing for the second consecutive year. He broke over 2,000 yards. That was including but not limited to the final game of the regular season where he needed about 220 plus rushing yards to get to 2,000 and he got it. So very, very, very impressive from Derrick Henry. Uh, This guy is unstoppable. I mean, the later in the year it gets, the more difficult it is to tackle him and to stop him. And he seems to get better as the year goes on, which is just like the opposite of what you think would happen, what happens to most running backs. Because as the year goes on, most guys, you know, they get more banged up, they get more tired, their legs get weaker, but not Derrick Henry, man. This guy just runs hard from the first carry he has to like the 300th carry he has. He's a beast. So an obvious choice there. Aaron Donald wins his third defensive player of the year. A lot of people were questioning that. TJ Watt was at the top of a lot of people's list for defensive player of the year, led the league in sacks, one of the best linebackers in all of football. But of course they give it to Aaron Donald. Personally, TJ Watt probably would have been my pick, but Aaron Donald, I guess, quote unquote, shocks the world. Like this is, you know, generally speaking, Aaron Donald is recognized as the best defensive player in football, the most valuable defensive player in football, one of the best defensive linemen probably ever at this point. And for him to win this award, it's like, okay, yes, I get it. But TJ Watt had an incredible year um, on a team that was filled with great linebackers. Of course, you know, multiple of them got hurt, Bud Dupree and uh, Devin Bush both got hurt. But T.J. Watt having the year that he had, uh, he certainly deserved the recognition. But you can't, how are you supposed to argue against Aaron Donald, right? It's not about arguing against him. It's more about arguing for T.J. Watt. That's the stance you got to take. But you can't can't argue against Aaron Donald because he is wildly recognized as the best defensive player in football. So for him to win the award that goes to the best defensive player in football, not much you can say about it. But... He takes home his third Defensive Player of the Year award. And Aaron Rodgers also taking home his third award for MVP. Uh, He had an incredible year. Of course, him and Devontae Adams were probably the best one-two tandem in the entire NFL. Uh, He was electric. Would have liked to see him get to a Super Bowl, but unfortunately came up a bit short with uh, another NFC, the second consecutive NFC championship loss. So, him and LaFleur having some success, but coming up just short in the past two years. Kind of a kind of sad to see. Um, so, that's all the NFL awards. And we're going to go through the NFL Hall of Fame inductees for this year pretty quickly here because we need to start talking about the Super Bowl. So, 
The class of 2021 includes Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, Drew Pearson, Alan Fanica, Bill Nunn, John Lynch, and Tom Flores. So, John Lynch finally getting in. Good for him. Alan Fanica, love to see his name on the list. One of the best offensive linemen I've ever seen. And Calvin Johnson. So, Peyton Manning and Charles Woodson, in my mind, were no doubters. Calvin Johnson, I had said, I think he for sure deserves to get into the Hall of Fame. But I was shocked that they put him in first ballot. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it because, again, like he is clear-cut by far and away the best wide receiver when he was playing the game of football. And he retired early, so his stats don't really stack up to other great Hall of Fame wide receivers. And I'm sure people in you know 20 years are going to be looking at like people who are looking at Hall of Fame lists or whatever and be like, who's this Calvin Johnson guy and why is he a wide receiver who's in the Hall of Fame? His stats stink. Uh, and they're not going to know, right? They're not, they're going to, they weren't able to witness Megatron in his prime. So Calvin Johnson getting in, I mean, these media guys, these NFL writers that vote in Hall of Famers, they must have really, 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 really hated Terrell Owens. Because they made that dude wait three years and they put Calvin Johnson in first ballot. Like, that is insane. And I was joking with my friends about Calvin Johnson. Like, he hates the Lions organization so much. I would la- like, he should just go in with uh, the NFL shield on his plaque instead of a Lions plaque. Like, he does not like that franchise at all. Uh, <laughs> so. He's another another lion that's going to go into the Hall of Fame that people are going to be like, I how the Lions have all these players and they never won shit. <laughs> they barely been to the playoffs, man. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So, congratulations to all of them. Payne Manning, Charles Woodson, no doubters. Calvin Johnson, super happy they didn't make him wait. It's very cool that they were just like, yeah, like why make him wait? He's getting in eventually. Like just put him in now. <laughs> Um, Alan Fanica, of course, also in John Lynch, as well as uh, everyone else. So Bill Nunn, Tom Flores, Drew Pearson getting in. Congratulations to the class of 2021. Very cool to see. And again, it's just uh, another one of those things for me that makes me feel like I'm getting older because I am. All these guys that I grew up, you know, it's that time of uh, my life where all these guys that I grew up watching play these sports, baseball, football, basketball, they're getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. So it's wild. It really is. It doesn't get any less weird, you know? So pretty cool, but also weird. All right, let's finally get into the Super Bowl, man. Uh, Tom Brady winning an unprecedented seventh Super Bowl as a starting quarterback in the NFL. I mean... I, f- fuck it, honestly, like, at this point, let the dude go get 10, like, that would be awesome, because now he's just kind of stacking it up, and he said before, like, he has, he doesn't really care about winning more for himself, you know, like, I think the sixth one was probably the one that solidified him as the the greatest quarterback to ever play the sport of football. Uh, and it tied him with Jordan, which obviously, of course, everyone recognizes Jordan as like one of the, one of, if not the greatest winner of all time. Um, 
So, you know, tying Jordan's always like a milestone for for people, right? Like a bar that is set. And when people pass it, it's like, okay, now you're the best at whatever. Um, so Brady getting a seventh one, he said it didn't really mean that much. He just wanted to get it more so for the his teammates and the guys that had never been in that position before. Um, and he did. <laughs> I think it was uh I think it was Levante David in the locker room was was recording himself and then he was like, Man, look at this dude Tom, man. And Tom he's like, he doesn't care. He's over there packing his bag and <laughs> like Tom Brady is at his locker packing everyone's celebrating and he's just like packing up like it was another Sunday W. Like he is He's like, he's been doing this, man. He's a legend. He's been doing this. <laughs> he just doesn't care anymore, dude. He's like, all right, like now I'm going to, I just won the Super Bowl. Like now I'm going to go home and, you know, spend time with my kids and my wife and, and just chill out. <laughs> like it is, it is crazy what this dude is accomplishing, man. The stats that come out of what Tom Brady has done in the playoffs slash Super Bowl alone, like people don't accomplish that in 10 years as a regular season starting quarterback it's insane it's absolutely insane and he said they'll be back next year like and can you really even blame him at this can you bet against him like if you're still betting against Tom Brady like I was I was like I think you know the Chiefs win this game Patrick Mahomes like passing of the belt uh I'm an idiot like it is the last time that I bet against Tom Brady. Like when he loses is when he loses. He loses. Like that there's there's no like oh Tom, he's going to lose this game. He's going to lose. Like no. He is like the default winner until they actually beat him. It, it's it's insane, man. It really 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 is. As for Patrick Mahomes. He had a tough game. Uh, and I'm not talking about him, like, his individual performance, although it was tough. I'm talking about just, like, the Chiefs also. There is an advanced stat that was floating around now. Um, Mahomes ran a total of 497 yards behind the line of scrimmage on Sunday. He was on the run for his life, and... I said Eric Fisher was going to be out. I didn't think, I, I truly didn't think that it was going to affect the Chiefs' offense that much. Uh, they also were missing, like, another uh, starting offensive lineman. So, in addition to Eric Fisher, it wasn't like that rest of the line was healthy. So, their line was banged up, and I wasn't really sure it was going to affect them that much, but it did. It really did. I mean, they could not stop anyone. Uh, Mahomes got pressured... Pretty much every play. And the Bucks didn't even, they barely even blitzed. They were sending four guys regularly. And that's it. And they were keeping like everything in front of them. The Chiefs have no, they had no deep shots at all. Uh, well, they had a couple deep shots, but they had no deep completions at all. Uh, and what is, what's tough for Mahomes is he's, he made some insane throws. I mean, there were like two or three throws where one was rushing to his left, threw it across his body, um, absolute dime to Tyreek Hill. If he caught it, it was a touchdown. Threw his hands off the face mask. And another one, of course, the one that got kept kept getting replayed and replayed and replayed over and over again. Uh, I think it was Damian Will. Is his first name Damian? It was Williams, the running back. 
for the Chiefs. Mahomes scrambling, he's getting tackled, or he's falling down, and he throws like a submarine kind of pitch into the end zone. Perfect spiral, and it hits him in the face mask, and he drops it. And that was like a fourth down. There's just, at that point, like, you saw the look of defeat on Mahomes' face. Like, what else is he supposed to do? And, you know, even if they complete those two passes, that doesn't win them the game, right? Like, the the, the defense couldn't stop Tampa Bay. Now, there were a couple questionable offensive pass interference calls, uh, defensive pass interference calls that ended up leading to a Buccaneers score. Uh, the The... One in the end zone from Tyron Matthew. And then the... Or there was actually, I think, two... Oh, there was one penalty. So there was the Tyron Matthew penalty in the end zone that ended up being converted into a one-yard pass to Antonio Brown for a touchdown. And then there was another one that resulted in Tyron Matthew picking off the football, but they called it back because prior to the pass, there was a holding call. So... And it was a questionable holding call. As well, so and, and even the one with Tyron Matthew was questionable. Um, so a lot of people weren't happy with the refs, but you know those few plays don't win you a football game. You know, you still got to stop Tom Brady. You still got to score the football. And yes, those were unfavorable calls for the Chiefs, but at the end of the day, like Super Bowl winners aren't made because the they handed you the game right like you have to come overcome some adversity if you want to just win and to be honest I think a lot of people you know if this was any other team besides the Chiefs this game was over pretty quickly but because we've seen the Chiefs come back time and time and time and time again last year they were down I think at one point in all of their playoff games, like they they weren't like super dominant in their playoff games leading up to the Super Bowl last year, and even in the Super Bowl, like they had to play catch up for every game, and they did successfully, and they were really really good. And you're like, wow, like how are you even supposed to keep this team down? Like they can come back from any deficit, you know. And the the Houston game was indicative of that. So you kind of just expected them to kind of to pick it up in the second half. And for Mahomes to start slinging it around wherever he wants and to score touchdowns, and then it was all of a sudden you're going to blink and it's going to be a football game, and that just never happened. I mean, Todd Bowles deserves all the credit in the world. What he did with that defense and what he was able to do to that Chiefs offense was incredible. Incredible. Like, seriously, man. Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator, he deserves a tip of the cap as well, but Todd Bowles was... And and the the Bucks defense were no doubt the stars of that game. Tom Brady got his fifth Super Bowl MVP, but the the collective effort of the defense was what won the Buccaneers that football game. And you know, for a while, there are people who were like, you know, a great offense beats a good defense. That's not always true. I mean, the Bucks were putting up points like they were supposed to. So Tom Brady was doing what he was supposed to be doing on his end, but the Chiefs are wildly considered the best offense in all of the NFL. And the Bucs don't... The Bucs have a top five defense, for sure. 
but I'm not sure everyone would say they're hands down the best defense in the NFL. However, in the Super Bowl, they played like it. So if you ever hear anyone say defense doesn't win championships anymore, just just point to this game. Point to this game and tell them, have them explain how that dominant Buccaneers defense didn't win them that Super Bowl. Like, this is the crown prince, Patrick Mahomes. Everyone knows how good this guy is and how potent that Chiefs offense is with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and all the other weapons that they have there that they can just plug in and all of a sudden they're a threat because Mahomes is their quarterback. They, they got locked up. Tyreek Hill didn't do anything. Travis Kelsey was limited. Like, they played, the, the Buccaneers linebackers, like, their defensive backs deserve credit, but their linebackers specifically wreaked havoc all over the field. Devin White, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, and JPP were everywhere. Deflecting passes, covering receivers, tight ends, getting to the quarterback. Like, they were phenomenal. And that is not something that should be overlooked. Defense still does win championships. They might not single-handedly get you to the Super Bowl, but if you have the better defense... You're going to win. Or it's going to help a lot. This was also the first time that Patrick Mahomes has lost a football game by double digits. That's insane. He's never lost a game by less than 10 points. Or by more than 10 points. And he doesn't even have that many career losses. I think this might have been his 10th loss. There was a... I think if he... He would have had... If he won this game, he would have had two Super Bowls before his 10th loss. That is, like, unbelievable. And I don't think that this takes away from Patrick Mahomes at all. And Mahomes still doesn't have 10 losses, by the way. He's 38-8. and eight. You're 38-9 and nine now, I think, if this is including... Uh, the Super Bowl. Mm, actually, this might have been his 10th loss because the playoff loss three years ago is one, and then last year they didn't lose in the playoffs. And then this year they lost. So his regular season, he has eight losses plus the two playoff losses two years ago and this year. That's 10. So this was his 10th loss in his career. This is, that's including the playoffs. The, the kid is... I mean, he's unbelievable. So it, it is. Um, I don't think it takes away anything from Patrick Mahomes losing to Tom Brady. Like, if there's, if there's one dude that you have to lose to, like it, it's the greatest of all time. That's not a terrible way to lose. But there's people out there who are like, well, now Mahomes like has to get to seven instead. Mahomes is. I'm sorry to go ahead and break this to everyone, but Mahomes is not. Winning seven Super Bowls. It's not happening. And if it does, then... You know what? The way I see it, I have a better chance of being... Right, than I'm wrong. So if I'm wrong, then... 
So be it. Kudos to Patrick Mahomes if he wins eight Super Bowls. And Tom Brady's not even done yet, so we're going to have to wait to see how many Tom Brady actually retires with. Because at this point, it doesn't look like he's slowing down. He can win, like, another one, another two. Who knows? So, everyone's like, well, now Mahomes, if he won this one, it would have been like, he's at two, he needs to get to six. That's a lot better than if he's at one, he has to get to seven. Like, who is is saying that this kid is, like, a hands-down lock? To win seven Super Bowls. Are you out of your mind? The pressure that puts on him? Get out of here, man. Get out of here. Saying he's going to be the greatest of all time already. Like, Tom Brady's still playing the game of football. He has seven championships. It's unbelievable. For all we know, Pat Mahomes can be another Aaron Rodgers. Where he's, like, unquestionably great. But only wins one Super Bowl. We have no idea how his career is going to shape out. Football is a completely unpredictable sport like the greatest of great quarterbacks only win one made they're lucky if they win two Peyton Manning had one Super Bowl in his prime and then he was able to get carried to another Super Bowl win by his defense like he wasn't good that season he was not that good he was a field manager like he he was he was not the same Peyton Manning that won the first Super Bowl where he carried the Colts to that Super Bowl like there are, there are guys that they're lucky if they get to multiple Super Bowls. Lucky. Like Aaron Rodgers. They're, like He is a guy that we're going to look back on and be like, how the hell did this guy only win one Super Bowl? Unquestionable talent. He's only ever been to one Super Bowl. And he won it, but he's only ever been to one. We have no idea how much. Like, yes, he's off to an inc- about the best start you could possibly get to. AFC, what was it, AFC Championship loss, Super Bowl win, Super Bowl loss. Like, the guy is on a trajectory that could shatter every record in the in NFL quarterback history. Shatter them. He's on, he is on his way. But to say that it is, like, a, a guaranteed or a lock that he's gonna, you know, be competing with Brady for most championships all time, like, that is ridiculous. And I'll say his name. This is this is Nick Wright that's saying this. Like this is a guy who compares these these guys like that. Like he holds Mahomes in that regards. And obviously he's blinded because he's, I think he's from Kansas City. But you know that that is like he's not the only one that home, holds Mahomes in that high regard. I think people need to just like relax a little bit when it comes to expectations for this kid. He's only twenty four, and yeah, again I understand like his trajectory is. His potential is through the roof, and he's already realizing that. Like, he's accomplished more in his first three years of being a starter than most people do in their entire career. All-pro, MVP, Super Bowl winner, Super Bowl MVP. Like, the guy has already really done it all. But it's unfair to kind of just expect multiple Super Bowl wins out of him. Because we have we have no idea what's what's gonna happen, we have no idea. What we do know is that Brady pretty much put an end to the who was more important to the Patriots dynasty. Now, in my opinion, I still think it was a fifty fifty thing. In Brady's first three Super Bowls, I think Bill Belichick was unquestionably. The guy who got them there. The guy who won them. The guy who created that 
first half of the dy- of the Patriots dynasty was Bill Belichick. And then you know, they don't go to the Super Bowl for a few years. They lose to the Giants twice. And then the second dynasty starts happening. I think that second half, that that next 3 Super Bowl wins. Cuz you have to remember at one point Tom Brady was 3 and 2 in the Super Bowl. Uh and now he's 7 and 3 or he was he was uh 3 and 2 in the Super Bowl. Now he's 7 and 3. The the loss to the Eagles was more or less a miracle on the part of Philadelphia. I mean, you see what their franchise, what kind of a state they're in now. It is, it's like they sold their soul to the devil to win that Super Bowl and then everything falls apart. Like that is what's happening in Philadelphia. They're in shambles. Um, but for them, it's probably worth it. I mean, Philly, Grant, Philly fans are completely ungrateful. They're, they probably are so pissed at what's happening with their team as if they like they didn't win Super Bowl three years ago. Relax, man. Uh, but this second half, I digress. This second half dynasty of Tom Brady, the rejuvenation of Tom Brady, where they won the the next three Super Bowls together. I think he, Tom Brady, even though he was older in his career, had more to do with those next three Super Bowls. Than Belichick did. And I think the, the the pinnacle of that was the comeback against the Falcons. That's all I think that's that's all Tom Brady. Yes, Belichick's the head coach, and you know, he he drew up a, a good game plan and all that, but Tom Brady, like that was his shining moment. That was his Mona Lisa, the comeback against the Falcons. And so Early in his career, yes, inexperienced, early Tom Brady, won three Super Bowls. I think you can point to Belichick and say he had more to do with that. The latter half now, though, was about Tom Brady. And I think now the fact that Tom Brady left New England and he's in Tampa Bay, first year, new system, all that, new players, building chemistry throughout the year. They win their last eight games and then they win the Super Bowl. I think this year in Tampa Bay proves that it doesn't prove that the whole thing was Tom Brady all along. That is a uh, a ridiculous thing to say because he was his first 3 Super Bowls, he was young and he is he was not the same Tom Brady he is now. I think Belichick had way more to do with those first 3 than Brady did, but now being Tom Brady being at the age he's at with the experience he has proves that he can be the coach and the guy that leads his teams to championships, right? Bruce Arians is on record saying, sometimes I just let Tom cook it up and, and sit back and watch and see what happens. Like, he Brady is at that level of experience and intellect and just feel for the game and talent that he can call his own game offensively. He can see whatever any defense is throwing at him, he's seen it all. So he can pick you out, he can see who's doing what, adjust whatever he needs to offensively, and then just make the play happen. He is at that point of his career where he has outgrown whatever coach can say to him. Right? He's older than some guys who are coaching in this league. So it is 
Now, I think at this point in their respective careers as a head coach and as a quarterback, I think Tom Brady has surpassed Bill Belichick. But anyone saying that it is Tom Brady, it always has been Tom Brady, is wrong. Because it hasn't always been Tom Brady. It was most certainly Bill Belichick early in his career. Like, unquestionably, in my opinion. But now... In this twilight years of Tom Brady, I and I don't say twilight as in like he's declining or going downhill or whatever. I mean, I just mean the latter half of his career where he's won these previous four Super Bowls now. This is because of him. Okay, I think we'll wrap it up on that note. Thank you all for listening. Tom Brady, seven-time Super Bowl champion. Unbelievable. It really is. And you're witnessing greatness. So enjoy it, please. Like the people who still hate Tom Brady, you're wasting your energy. Just enjoy it. But thank you all for listening. We will be back next Wednesday. No football. So we're diving headfirst into basketball season. Baseball starts in like a month and a half. We're getting ready. We're getting ready. But basketball now, basketball heavy podcast. Uh, Get ready next Wednesday. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next week.